All right, would you stand and remain standing as we hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 126? It's our third Advent reading for today. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is the word of the Lord. There was a uh, Rich Mullins album that was released right after he died. I don't know if any of you remember this or know Rich Mullins. But the, they used these like rough recordings um, that he had recorded in a, just like it was band practice and they had a tape recording. And so they overlaid those tape recordings with the actual production of the songs later on by other artists. At the very beginning, the very first song opens up and you hear Rich sitting at the piano. And he goes, I'm barely ready to do this. <laughs> but here we go. And that's, that's how I feel this morning. So, just, I'm just going to start with my strong foot forward. Uh, just let Friday, Friday evening, 6 p.m., Lessons and Carols. Hope to see you there. We are uh, providing childcare, a nursery childcare, zero to two, um, combining with uh, all three churches kind of supplying volunteers. We're still looking for some from Redeemer. If you are a kind-hearted soul, Everyone's like looking away, like, oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't hear this right now. Um, but if you want to do that, um, let me know. This week I'll be recruiting m- with more intensity throughout the week, so let's pray. Father, we come to your word and together we ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts now, that you would do for us what we cannot do for ourselves Give us clear hearts, clear minds, clear eyes to see, to believe, to wait patiently for your coming. For we pray it in Christ's name, amen. There's a restaurant that opened in Pleasant Midwood about a year, about a year ago called Supperland. Have you heard of this restaurant? It's a great, great restaurant. Um, owned by the same people that own our favorite restaurant, which is Haberdish up in, uh, in Noda. And Chris and I decided we wanted to go to Supperland for dinner uh, back in March, but they weren't really taking reservations, or if they were, you had to, you know, re- reserve six months out. But we had heard that it's very hard to get in, so we decided we we're going to show up the minute they opened at 5 p.m. So we show up at 5 p.m., and we, like, pull up to the curb, and there's already a line out the door, like, waiting to put people's, put your name in. So Kristen, like, I throw Kristen out the door, and she, like, runs up and gets in line, puts her name in, and they're like, it's going to be two hours. She was like the fourth person in the door, two hours. And we're like, okay, that's fine. We, we expected this. So we went out and we walked around Plaza Midwood and visited some other places. Then we came back and we, there's like a little cocktail bar and we went in there beforehand and we're just waiting. And then they had like a little fire pit and we went out there and we're just waiting. And we're just waiting. And seven o'clock came and went and it's 7.15 came and went. And throughout the whole time, we're just, you get to the point where you're like, should we continue to wait or not? 
Like, should we bail on this? this? And then you start saying, this better be worth it. This better be the best meal I've ever had in my life. Um, and at like 7.35, we go inside and we had one of the best meals we've ever had. And it was absolutely worth it. <laughs> but throughout that two and a half hours, I guarantee you there were multiple moments where I was ready to give up on waiting. It's like, you've all, well, you've all had this experience before where you're like, but then you're committed, so you're like, do I quit now? Do I just, is that like the, the time I waited, is it wasted? Like, and we, we have these moments of waiting where we begin to feel distracted, where we lose interest in what we're waiting for, where we're not convinced that it's going to be worth the wait, and we begin to wander off. And this is especially true when you don't know exactly what we're waiting for. When it's that new restaurant you've never been to, and you're like, you know, maybe I shouldn't be waiting for this. I have no idea what exactly it's going to be like. Um, and as I pondered this, this week, I suspect that for many of us, this experience applies to our own Christian journey of waiting. These moments of exhaustion and distraction where we're like, is this waiting worth it? Is this going to be worth it in the end? And the Christian waiting, the Christian journey begins to feel long. And this is the verse before Last week's text was in 2 Peter, but the verse right before we read, Peter is quoting people that are criticizing the Christians, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And there's this weight of skepticism and doubt. Maybe it's from outside, from friends. Maybe it's from inside, a disdain that we're here waiting for something. And the daily grind of waiting for Jesus to come and restore us gets long. And for me, there's days where the, my attentiveness to God and what he's doing begins to fade. Where my anticipation of Jesus' coming begins to drop off. Where my desire for whatever it is that's coming is waning. And I wonder, is it worth the wait? Is it worth it to be committed to the Christian journey, the life of the church, the life of community, a life of patience, a life of suffering, a life of putting other people first, is it worth it? Is what comes at the end of this waiting, is it worth it or should I bail and go wander off? And many times people do wander off, right? They wander away from the church, they wander away from community, they wander away from practices of faith. Maybe that's you, maybe it's someone you know or someone in your family but for many of us in this room, we're, we're here. We haven't wandered away this Advent season. We're here in this room. And so our wandering tends to be a lot smaller, internal crises of faith. Like rarely do we have these giant displays of deconstruction. It's subtle, the wandering of our heart and our eyes, wondering if there are better options than, than what Jesus is calling us to. If there's something that can get us a quicker fix or a more immediate results than this waiting that we're called to. We may outwardly stay Christian. We're here in the room. We're doing the Christian things. We're praying. But inwardly, we're struggling and we're, we're fading. We're ready to give up on waiting for Jesus. I don't know if you've experienced that, but I certainly have moments in my life where I feel that waning. And we take our eyes off the prize, as it were, and we're sleepwalking where we have these days and weeks and months or years of lack of attention to Jesus and what he's doing, lack of urgency, lack of clarity, 
loss of focus in our spiritual things and our desires. Instead of being focused on God and his kingdom, we turn inward. We kind of chaotically chasing satisfaction, a new job. You know people that they just... They stay in a house for like two years and they move here and they move there and it's just, they stay in a job and they move, it's just move, chasing, running, looking for something. And every year when we come to Advent, we have this beginning of the year opportunity to restart, to refocus, to reclarify, to reorient to what we're waiting for, to kindle our desire for God's coming, to reorient ourselves in our waiting in our commitment to the way of Jesus, to remain engaged, to exhort one another, don't give up now, don't walk away, don't wander off. It may be two hours and 25 minutes, but there's, you're gonna get a table soon. Don't give up. And we focused last week and this week on the story of John the Baptist who's coming and saying the same thing to the people. Hey, I'm here to prepare the way, don't give up. I'm not, the, I'm not the Messiah, but the Messiah is coming. Don't give up. Repent, it's not going to be long now. And the psalm that Christy read, Psalm 126, is the, is the, the text I want to just spend a few minutes in here. It's a song of ascents. It's called ascents, A-S-C-E-N-T-S. It's these psalms, there's a pack of psalms here in the 120s where this, the Jewish pilgrims would be going to Jerusalem for their feasts multiple times a year, and their the journey could be long and dangerous. And you're going up these mountains. This, you know, Psalm 121. I, I look, I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? I used to think that was like, oh, my help comes from the hills. Like I'm looking up to the hills with God, and no, what this is is a pilgrim standing at the bottom of the mountain, looking up at the dangerous path and thinking, oh my gosh, as I walk through there, where is my help going to come from? Will I get to Jerusalem safely? It's a dangerous road, and so this, the pilgrims would sing these songs to remind themselves about what they were doing, exactly what, what it is that they're waiting for as they continually, year after year, go to Jerusalem. And these psalms reconnect the people with a sense of longing and desire for what it is that they're doing. And along the way, these psalms fueled the pilgrimage of the people. And I think it's fitting for us to do that for ourselves here today. Psalm 126, a life patiently waiting to believe that it's worth it, that it's worth the wait, that the salvation that God is working is worth committing ourselves to patiently waiting. If you look with me at Psalm 126 begins like this. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. This, if you think of the Jewish people who had been off in exile and they come back, a small group comes back to the land this is the moment that it's talking about. They've gone 70 years off in exile, and now they're coming back, and they're like, we never expected this. This is absolutely incredible. The Nehemiah Ezra story, they get back, they're like, the Lord is restoring our fortunes. They're coming back to the promised land, and the book of Haggai tells us that the people were like unimpressed, that it wasn't as good as they wished it was, and yet this psalm tells us we were like those who dream 
It was like, have you ever, you watched those interviews after the Super Bowl, right? And these guys are walking around with their kids and stuff, and the reporters are like, how does it feel? And they're literally like, it feels like a dream. This is what they're talking about. I can't even believe this is real. It feels so good. It feels so amazing. My mouth is filled with laughter, and my tongue is filled with joy. And this is where the psalm starts, and this is the first movement of re-engaging, is we look back at what God has already done. We look back. We recount the past works of the Lord. We have this moment of remembrance, of sitting in, of pondering the delight of what God is doing and has already done for us. Have you ever had this moment where you've been that happy? Like deliriously, unimaginably happy. Absolutely pure joy. A lot of times this goes with things that are unexpected or unbelievable or things that are against the odds or that you've waited for a long time. The the couple that has been trying to get pregnant for years and years and years and then the moment they see that test, it's, this is what, they're like those who dream. This is a dream. This is unreal. This is unbelievable. My, my mouth is filled with laughter. Or the, the person who finds out that their disease has been cured. You talk to cancer survivors. They're like that moment when the doctor says you're cancer-free is like a deliriously happy moment. I'm free. I'm like one who, I can't even, I couldn't have even dreamed it. Do you know these moments? The moment in the prodigal son parable when the son comes back. Do you have a moment when a child or a relative returned to you? I was reading, I like the author Michael Conley. He writes law and murder mysteries, or crime, police dramas. And the one he just came out with, Lincoln Lawyer is his character. You might have seen the movie with Matthew McConaughey. Um, He's this, you know, uh, defense attorney. And the most recent book is called Resurrection Walk. And the the story opens with this little, it's just like three-page description of a man being released from prison after after a wrongful conviction. He'd been in prison for many years, I don't know, 17 or 20 years, and he's being released from prison. And the scene is the description of him walking out of the prison to meet his family and his lawyer who helped get him out is standing there, and the lawyer is the main character of the story. And the very end of the, of the prologue, um, it says the, the lawyer is speaking in the first person, and he says this, I felt the hollow I had carried around inside for a long time start to close. I had resurrected this man from the dead. And with that came a fulfillment I had never known in the practice of law and in life. Deep-seated, <laughs> it was like a dream. And the rest of the story is his like desire to get that feeling back again, to get another person set free. We've, we have this in small ways where we re, reunited with a friend after a long period of time and you see that person and you like run to them and you feel that joy. Or you pass the professional, my brother's a CPA, right? You have to, or you're a lawyer, you gotta take these professional exams. The moment you see that grade come back. The Lord restored our fortunes and there's waves of relief and joy and laughter. Do you know this feeling or experience? in your life. You might not know exactly what it is, but you know what it's like. We know what the kingdom of God is like. It's like being a person who dreams. That's how good it is. 
I think we don't always let ourselves believe and understand that our own experiences of joy, that's what, that's what God is doing. That's what God has done. It's significant that the psalm starts here, and I think we need to start here too. What do you need to look back at that God has done for you? James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Everything good that you've ever experienced is from God and is a taste of what he's doing for the whole world. Do you sit in that? Do you have times when you cultivate gratitude to God for what he's done? We're never going to be sustained in our waiting unless we sit in gratitude. If we let our inner cynic, if we let our inattentiveness, we won't be able to come to a place of joy and waiting patiently. I invite you this week, or maybe more consistently, to set aside time in your week, each day, each week, each year, for, for gratitude, to contemplate what God has already done, to actually enjoy the goodness and the grace of God in your life. There's the, the normal uh, Ignatian examine has five steps, and the second one is review your day with gratitude. Every night, re- reviewing our day with gratitude, looking back, cultivating gratitude in our hearts. Then the psalm moves forward. In verse 4, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. You see, they looked back and they're like, this is what God has already done. And now I'm going to look around. I'm going to look around. I'm going to say, it looks like a desert around here. <laughs> looks like a desert. A couple years ago, Chris and I went with a group to Israel and we went out into the Negev deserts, the southern part of Israel, and it is uninhabitable. I brought my own pictures just because it's more fun than canned pictures. This is called a maktesh. It's a giant, like, it's a normal feature in the Negev Desert. You can kind of see across the way. It's like a giant canyon, basically. And at the bottom of that canyon is a single dry riverbed called a wadi. And for most of the year, it's dry. There's nothing in it. And we hiked from the top. We hiked all the way down the side. And we ended up at the very bottom in the middle of this wadi. You see, it's like... 15, 20 feet wide, 10-foot walls. It's dry, but if there was plants anywhere in this desert, they're going to be down right in the middle of that, waiting for the water. Because when it rains in the mountains, these things will fill up with water, like fill up with water, like instantly. It was dangerous, because all of a sudden, it would be a beautiful day, and all of a sudden, a wall of water would just rush down the wadi. But those streams, when they filled up, were critical and essential for life to be sustained in the desert. And the people are saying, we know we're, we're filled with gratitude for what God has done, but now we look around and we're like, we need the stream back. We need a stream in the desert. I'm like a dry plant here in this wadi, and I need water. The past experience of grace, of knowing what God can do, leads us to longing for God to do it again. And the Psalms, the Psalms are full of these kind of longing pleas to God. In Psalm 27, Hear, O Lord, when I cry, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says, your face, Lord, do I seek. 
Psalm 14, oh, that salvation would come out of Zion when the Lord restores his people, let Jacob rejoice and be glad. There's this remembrance looking back in gratitude leads us to cultivate longing as we look around and realize that we're missing that feeling, that experience, that restoration now. And as we look back, we cultivate gratitude. As we look around, we cultivate longing. And I don't, I don't know how you experienced this week, this month, this year, but it's, it's a desert out there. It's a desert in here. Like I'm days where I'm desperate for laughter and joy, where I don't feel anything like my fortunes having been restored. Do you, do you have those days, those weeks, those months? Like I've been recently listening to the comedian Nate Bargatze, kind of new and all of a sudden super famous and sometimes you just have to turn on a comedian to laugh because you're like I don't know where else I'm going to get laughter from I just need somebody to make me laugh Nate make me laugh be a funny guy because there's the global desert of war and death and disease there's the personal desert of broken friendships and relationships and and so daily I'm confronted with my own desperate nature of my situation I need this is a desert I need water and I've cultivated gratitude by looking back, but now I'm looking around and I'm saying, God, I need you to do something. And the longing begins to well up in me. I need that. I need that. I need that. To longing and to request, the people say, restore us again. Do, we, do you cultivate this desire, the ache in your soul to, to have that? satisfaction, that restoration, that laughter, that joy? Do you have desire? Are you asking God to give it to you? Are you bringing those desires to him? We tend to be very afraid of desire. We try to like squash our desires down. There's a lot of reasons we, we do that. I was thinking desires can be like, can feel like an unwanted pet. They're like, they're there and you're like, you can't really get rid of them, but you just try to minimize the damage they do to your house. That's where we are with our dog. She's, she's there. She's just like try to minute. She's just kind of constantly annoying. And the more I don't have to think about her, the better. And that's how we often are with our desires. We like, they, they end, oftentimes our desires lead us in places we don't want to go. And so we're like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to get rid of them. I'm going to push it down. I'm going to push it back. And as C.S. Lewis has that famous, this famous quote from The Weight of Glory, where he says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And this psalm is saying, remember that the best thing you've ever felt or experienced, that's what I want you to desire. That's what the kingdom of God is like. It's like being those who dream. What do you want deep in your heart? Do you know what you want? What in your gut do you want? What are you aware of? Do you bring those to God believing that he can fulfill them or do you just repress them and push them down and hope they go away? God is saying, bring them to me. Bring them to me. Cultivate longing for the things of God. 
So we, the psalm looks back and cultivates gratitude, and it looks around and begins to cultivate longing. And then these two things converge together in looking forward. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And the repeated vision throughout the Bible is that this is what the kingdom of God is like. Those who go out sowing with weeping, they come back full of joy. They come back full of joy. This text from, I'm not going to read the whole thing again, but from Isaiah 61 Just look at the way that this is described, the salvation of God, good news to the poor, binding up the broken, liberty for the captive, freedom for the prisoner, comfort for the mourning, a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. And Jesus comes in in Luke chapter 4, he reads this, te- this text and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is what God has come to do and he's in the process of doing it. The calling to wait is not to hide under a rock and just hope that one day things will snap and be better. The calling is that we lean into what God is doing now and among us, that we cultivate gratitude for it and longing for it, and then we, conf- we cultivate confidence that it is coming. That the one, you and me, the ones who are going out with weeping will come back with joy. What is your sowing with tears this week, this month? Maybe it's the seeds of the gospel with a friend or relative that just is not responding. Maybe it's a broken relationship that seems beyond the ability to repair. Maybe you're just going about your business trying to make ends meet and life is hard. Maybe it's the pain of sickness and cancer and dying or the tears of patience where you just are giving up. Whatever it is, you've run out of patience. Where it's the tears of confusion, of unanswered questions... Or maybe it's sorrows about war and injustice and inequity in the world. What's your, are you going out with sorrow and tears? Because Psalm 126 tells us that the one who goes out sowing with tears will come back with joy. And as we walk through this process, this cycle of gratitude and longing, it leads to confidence in what God is doing. Psalm 2713, I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. It's not, we don't have to wait for that. The confidence is that in the land of the living, that's right now, we will see the goodness of the Lord. Do you long for that today, tomorrow, this year? Is that where your focus is? And when you look back and look around, gratitude and longing lead to confidence that God is doing what he said he was doing. 
that we're not here waiting for, you know, waiting to celebrate a baby in a manger. That happened. We're waiting for God to bring about his kingdom in our life today, this year. Looking ahead, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Together, this actually is a perfect practice of examine, daily examine. Looking back with gratitude, looking around, understanding what's going on in your own heart, and then looking forward with confidence in what God might do today, tomorrow, and believing that it is indeed worth the wait. So I ask you to ponder, are you struggling with confidence in God's promises today or this year? And, and, and in that being tempted in the waiting to wander off, maybe not leave the faith, but like wander off in your heart, go searching for other ways of fulfillment. Are you losing attentiveness? You're ready to bail. It's been two hours and 20 minutes and you're ready to bail on whatever it is. Then you need Advent and you need Psalm 126. You need to look back and look around and look forward and cultivate gratitude and longing and confidence in God. Which one do you need most? Is it gratitude? Is it longing? Is it confidence? Which do you need most? We need Psalm 126 to sustain us this season of Advent. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for all that you have done for the recordings in your word and in our own lives of your grace and your restoration and your renewal. Cultivate in us, grow in us grateful hearts. And then as we look around and see our own desperate situation of today that we would long for, for your restoration and renewal. That we'd point our desires toward your kingdom, and that those two things together would give us great confidence that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.